The homilies or sermons contained in these podcasts were delivered by Deacon Joe Dietz, a permanent deacon serving at St. Edward Catholic Church in Ashland, Ohio, a parish of the Diocese of Cleveland. Each homily is preceded by a reading of the Gospel of the Day. While these homilies are the same in content as those preached, they have been recreated to improve the sound quality of the podcast. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When John the Baptist heard in prison of the works of the Christ, he sent his disciples to Jesus with this question, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Jesus said to them in reply, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. As they were going off, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Those who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. Then why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord John the Baptist is one of the strongest people in the Bible, Samson notwithstanding. He lived in the wilderness, wearing a camel's hair shirt, eating only locusts and honey. He was not afraid of anyone, Pharisees, kings, soldiers, but boldly proclaimed the need for repentance. He was one tough, no-nonsense guy, seemingly full of unshakable faith in God. So the question that comes to mind when you read today's gospel is, did he crack? Was the pressure too much for him? Did Herod finally wear him down? Was it the tough lifestyle, the hair shirt, the no drinking policy, the imprisonment? Did John finally break and doubt? Why did he, of all people, ask this question of Jesus? Are you the one? I mean, this is John the Baptist we're talking about, filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb, that very womb in which he leapt upon hearing Mary's voice, knowing even as an unborn child that she was carrying the unborn Jesus, Savior of the world. John, who said of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease that I am not worthy to undo his sandal straps. John, who questioned whether or not he should be baptizing Jesus, and then after the baptism saw the Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove and heard the voice from heaven proclaim, This is my beloved Son. John, who Jesus himself in this passage says no one born of woman is greater. Of all the people other than Mary herself that should have known and been completely convinced that Jesus was the one. Why does John, of all people, ask this question? Now, is it possible that having been locked up in prison and likely expecting execution, he could have simply doubted and needed reassurance, as some biblical scholars suggest? Sure, 
but I would like you to consider that this question was more about John's disciples than it was about John himself. John likely realized once Jesus was on the scene that his, John's, mission was mostly accomplished. It should have been no great surprise to John that the end was near. But his disciples would surely have had doubts. Lacking John's faith and spiritual empowerment, they would certainly have been concerned about John's imprisonment and this Jesus who was not the Messiah they had expected. It would be easy to see them asking John, is he the one? While not necessarily doubting Jesus himself, John recognizing his disciples' doubts and knowing he will not be with them much longer, what better way to transfer them to Jesus than to have them take the question to Jesus themselves so they can then hear and experience Jesus' answer themselves and make their own decision. As I have said before, I am a cradle Catholic, Catholic elementary and high school, but you know, I was never taught to question the truths that the church proclaimed. My well-meaning catechists of the time did not encourage us to ask such questions, but more to accept the church's teaching on face value. This practice, I think, resulted in many Catholics not personalizing their cultural and institutional beliefs. I can only imagine what my grade school nun's reaction might have been had I asked, is Jesus really the one? We all not only have a right, but probably a need to ask that question at some point in our lives. For we all need to transition this wonderful faith of ours from the faith of our family, our school, our ethnic background, into a personal faith that while keeping us involved and enmeshed in the larger church, also has a dimension that we own as individuals that is special to us alone. Jesus tells us that every hair on our head is counted. If God knows us that well, do you think he relates to us as a group or as an individual? Jesus, are you the one to come? Not for the world, for me? We must all hear his emphatic yes in our heart, in our mind, in our soul. Yes, I am the one, not just for the world, the church, the Vatican, the poor, but I am the one for you. I can handle all your fears and all your worries. I have conquered sin and death and can help you handle both if you ask. It does not become our faith, our relationship, until we ask the question and hear the answer. Are you the one for whom I was created? Are you the one for whom I long? Can you fill the void in my life? Can you complete me? Yes, yes, yes. Just as John's disciples needed to hear Jesus' answer, so do we. And how does Jesus answer their question? He doesn't respond to the question with documentation. He does not cite scriptural references. He simply tells them to report on the miraculous things they are seeing. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, 
The dead are raised and the poor hear the good news. Jesus responds in power, not human argument. When we ask the question, he wants to answer us in power as well. And since we are fortunate enough to be asking this question after the resurrection, after Pentecost, his answer to us is not only a witness to his power, but a gift of his spirit, which empowers us as well. The power to change our lives. But once empowered, it is up to us to remain connected. You know, it's Christmas time, and one of the rituals of Christmas is Christmas lights. Anyone who has ever dealt with Christmas lights, whether indoor or outdoor, has to deal with the challenge of getting them where you want them and keeping them lit. There is an unwritten rule that there is never an outlet where you need one, so an indispensable item in getting those lights displayed where you want them and lit is the extension cord. And the fundamental truth in the laws of extension cords is that they are only so long. We try to stretch them, make them reach, but if we go too far, we pull the plug at one end or the other and the lights go out. The empowerment we receive from Jesus works the same way. When we come to know him personally in the special relationship he desires to have with us, we get empowered by his Holy Spirit. But if we move too far away from him, we pull the plug and cut the power, and we are working on our own in the dark. This is what sin does. It pulls the plug on our source of power and leaves us on our own until we reconnect to the power source. Operating on our own power, we are sure to fail. This is not a flaw in our creation. Jesus created us knowing we needed the Holy Spirit, and he wants to give it to us. In John chapter 1, it says, He gave the power to become children of God. He wants us to be empowered. But he also puts us on an intentionally short cord because he wants to keep us close, close to him, the source of our help. In Psalm 124, it says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. If we want to stay empowered, we have to stay close to the power source, connected through prayer, sacrament, scripture, and study. As I looked at a driveway full of snow the other day, and then looked at my snow blower that would not start, I asked myself what smart people did at this time of the year. I already knew the answer. Smart people check on the snowblower in October and make sure it works, and if it doesn't, they get it fixed before it snows in December. Smart people also check their extension cords to make sure they are working and long enough to do the job before they start to string the lights. I and those like me end up shoveling the driveway by hand and going out at the last minute in search of the right cord or plug. The church is smart. It gives us this season of Advent to prepare for the celebration of Jesus coming to earth. It serves as a time for us to check things out on the spiritual side, to see if we have wandered too far from our empowering Savior. Or are we so overloaded with even good works that we can't find time to pray and are going to trip the breaker, burn out, and lose our peace? As we go through Advent, this time of preparation, we should prepare for Jesus as we do for the season, as we do for winter. 
check the connections, the cord, make adjustments so our power source is renewed, strong, and true. Is our daily prayer time of sufficient length and priority? Do we need to get to confession to reconnect the plug we pulled out when we strayed too far from Jesus? This is a great time to attend daily Mass or Eucharistic Adoration to renew and recharge. It quite simply comes down to asking ourselves a question. Knowing that Jesus is the one who is to come, is this a good time to prepare to meet him all over again? Yes. Send questions or comments regarding this podcast to Deacon Joe 2017 at gmail.com.